This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 97, Retirement Roundup. 50% of Americans are making this mistake. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody, to our latest episode. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, and we've been holding on to a bunch of different news articles and things that have really just been kind of piling up on our desks, so to speak. And we felt like we just had to kind of condense them down to one episode and bring them all to you here where we can maybe get a good sense from a couple different uh, lenses or paradigms or angles uh, exactly how is the American doing, the average American doing in our uh, economy toward our reti- their retirement. So that's what we'll be covering today. But first of all, welcome everyone and welcome Holly Bach to our studio. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. All right, so we've got two quick uh, episode announcements here. First, uh, we want to remind everybody about to uh, the the upcoming episode 100 is fastly approaching, and we need your episode content. We want you guys to to speak. We want to hear back from you. We've been we've been doing this for almost a hundred episodes now. Can you believe it? So we'd love to get your biggest takeaway. What's what's changed about your personal economy? What's changed about your feelings about money or your thoughts about your finances? Uh, go to the website we've set up specifically for this episode 100 and do that before July 15th. We need it by the end of the day on July 15th if we're going to include your comments, your audio voice transcription into our uh, episode 100. So July 15th is the deadline. So don't uh, don't delay. That's just three days from when you're hearing this. Uh, so go to speakpipe.com slash NYAFP. That's speakpipe.com slash NYAFP. Uh, and that's not your average financial podcast for those of you for uh, acronym uh, limited people. Uh, so just go to speakpipe.com slash NYAFP and leave us a note, leave us a comment, leave us a voicemail essentially. So that's the first thing I wanted to mention. Second, we've got a podcast review we wanted to read uh, by Arinya. He says, life-changing content. If you're looking for a way to accumulate long-term wealth different from any other strategy out there, then look no further. Mark and Holly are the real deal. Well, thanks, Arinya. <laughs> Keep up the amazing job, you guys. You guys have made already made a huge impact in my life just by opening my mind to new opportunities, and we're just beginning to put your recommendations and strategies into place. So thank you, Arinya. And for anyone else who would like to leave us a review, go to our website, notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Click on Leave a Review. And if we read it on the uh, on the air on the episode, you'll get a shout out from from us. So thank you to one of our listeners. Anything else, Holly? Before we ju- jump on in? No, I think we've got some uh, good content to cover today. Lots of different articles and news news clippings and blurbs and that sort of thing. So let's jump on in. Great, great uh, summer reading for uh, for those of uh, our <laughs> listeners who are hopefully on a nice, beautiful beach somewhere. So we'll try not to yeah. depress you too yeah, much. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll 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 have our own uh, not average spin on it. I think. But so the first was a Barron's article, Barron's.com. That's one of the biggest investment magazines out there in this country, and they wrote an article right, uh, titled. Americans are woefully un- underprepared for retirement. So they say that the average American is vastly underestimating what they're going to need in retirement, but they don't know it. According to a new study by Natixis Investment Managers, they apparently they stu- studied and surveyed 1,000 American workers. 
with access to company-sponsored 401k plans, defined contribution plans, that sort of thing. So they surveyed 1,000 Americans, and the companies they researched spanned uh, multiple generations, baby boomers, Gen X, millennial. Uh, the survey found that two-thirds of participants think they're going to have enough saved uh, to live comfortably in retirement, and three-quarters felt that they'll be financially secure. The average saver uh, unfortunately, 6.8% uh, is all that they're able to set aside in their workplace retirement plan, according to the study. And two-thirds of participants in the study still factored into their incomes the receipt of Social Security, but 42% of those surveyed didn't even think that Social Security would be around or available to them when the time comes. So almost half of the list of the survey uh, participants didn't think that Social Security would even be around anymore. But two-thirds were factoring in that Social Security. So there's there's a disconnect here yeah. in their line of thinking. <laughs> I, ca I can't imagine. Yeah, so you, I, I don't get where the logic is there. Yeah, yeah? so there's, there's a disconnect here where people are, you know, they're counting up their income dollars in retirement. They're counting Social Security in that, and that's what arrives them at this conclusion that they're going to be okay because because they're going to have Social Security and whatever they've saved. However, if you press them a little further and ask, do you think Social Security is actually going to be around, though, they have to then kind of backtrack and be like, well, no. I've got something that, I've got something that, like that's going on. I've got that confused emoji look on my face right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, beyond that, 27% of American workers had to borrow against their retirement plans. And another 27% have actually been penalized by pulling money out of their retirement accounts altogether. That's a big deal, right? Uh, so we can't even keep the money toward retirement that we had intended to save originally if we're taking out essentially 27% of it. Mm -hmm. uh, or 27% or, or of Americans have taken against it. So mm -hmm. why did they take the money out, out of their 401k and get penalized with interest, taxes, and penalties? My belief, the biggest reason, at least that was cited in this survey, was it was just that they didn't have enough money saved in cash accounts for regular daily living expenses. They said the second reason was to pay off debts like credit card debt, housing costs, and costs associated with health care. Yep. Um, just one in four millennials are focused on retirement planning at all. You know, so only wow. one in four are even thinking about retirement. And millennials are now getting to almost age 40, some yep. of them, right? Okay. Yep. So just one in four millennials. So that's kind of where the millennial generation's at. Uh, right now, millennials are you know trying to start a family, pay down student loan debt. 28% uh, of millennials surveyed said their student loan payments keep them from saving more. And 30% said that's why they opt out of saving for retirement altogether, just because they're too overwhelmed and overburdened by their student debt. So it's like, you know, only one in four millennials are focused on retirement. Well, that's because only one in four has probably achieved a point where they feel like they can't even focus on retirement because they finally got some of that, those debts behind them. They're lo still looking in the rearview mirror, paying off those old debts. Yeah. Can't look in the future yet, toward yeah. the future. Wow. Now, that's millennials. What about Gen X? Generation X, the average 45-year-old said they wanted to retire in just under 20 years. And they, on average, had saved $166,000. Uh, so that means they're going to need to save, guys, $42,000 a year more than they're already saving, um, more than they currently do, just to retire in 19 years with a million bucks to spend. Now, we could talk about what a million dollars actually buys you in retirement, which mm -hmm. might not be a lot, but still, can you imagine saving all of a sudden we've got to come up with an additional $42,000 a year just to get to retirement as mm -hmm. we planned in 20 years? I mean, that's another income. Right. I mean, right. that's, that's mm -hmm. not easy to just kind of 
you know, think of out of thin air, just Mm -hmm. kind of make it up out of thin air. Um, So that's Gen X. And then boomers also are full of regret. Uh, 47% of boomers regret not saving sooner, so not starting to save sooner. Uh, 35% wish they'd stashed more money away. So, you know, boomers are those that are now retiring and approaching retirement very quickly. So 47% wish they'd started sooner. 35% wish that they'd saved more. Um, the average 64-year-old boomer saved only 30% of the $1 million they say they'll need to maintain a comfortable lifestyle. Uh, many are pushing retirement back to even as far as age 69 um, on average. But to do you know, retirement at that age, they're still going to need to be saving today around $142,000 more <laughs> a year annually than they currently do to get there. That's, that's jaw-dropping statistics there, Holly. I yeah. mean, so fantastically crazy low. If if Wall Street would have saved the day, wouldn't we have seen it with the boomers? I mean, that mm-hmm. was, they were the experiment. They were the first generation, yeah. Exactly. And here we are. They've got 300 grand, according to this study, on average in their savings. And they're going to need to save, they're way behind. So they need to save $142,000 more than they're already saving every single year just to retire by age 69. Mm-hmm. That is a dismal failure on Wall Street's part. I can't say it any other way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we thought it looked bad for Gen X having to save, you know, an extra $42,000 a year. Well, add, you know, just a just add a little 100000 on top of that. <laughs> and that's what uh, boomers are going to have to do if, if they want to um, kind of, again, retire comfortably. Um, also, more than half of those surveyed, uh, which is 53%, indicated they were wishing the government would provide some sort of solution, although they didn't have a clear solution in the study. So there so, weren't any answers in that study. Yeah. yeah so yeah. again, you know, we're talking about more disconnect mm. um, and kind of what the American is thinking and, and their thoughts on retirement. You know, it's like they want the government to step in and save the day. How are they? However, they have no idea how the government could do that. And I don't really know how they could do that without just taxing us more than they already are. So right. careful yeah. what you wish for. Careful what you wish for. Well, and so the best um, the best plan that Wall Street has for us is the 401k. That is kind of the, the workhorse. It's been around for since the early 80s. Um, so how are we doing? And let's take a look at the very best 401k plans and how are they performing, right? So another recent Barron's article um, also tracked a different study, another uh, study. It was a troubling study by Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management, and they tracked millions, millions of retirement accounts in the United States. The study included 300 public and privately held companies. Participants ranged from the top executives to clerks and janitors. So we're looking at the biggest, best, most comprehensive 401k study ever designed, ever. So we're looking at the experiment of the 401k and now we're studying it to see how well it did. What was really fascinating about the study was that they were able to run multiple simulations on the population of study participants, basing it on real world events like a job loss, early withdrawals from a 401k, that sort of thing. The question that they were searching for was, would retirees have enough, along with Social Security and Medicaid benefits, to fund 80% of their pre-retirement income plus medical expenses? So by the way, um, Fidelity in a totally separate study estimated that medical costs alone in retirement would cost about $285,000 per couple. So uh, what was Northwestern Mutual's answer to that big study on the 401k? Uh, The short answer, 
is American ready? Is America ready for retirement through their 401k? The answer is no, no, not by a long shot. Why not? Americans, uh, most Americans just didn't save enough for retirement because they just don't have the money. Here in the wealthiest nation on earth, many people are not living within their means. Going back to Nelson Nash's episode about Parkinson's law, we're not living within our means. We're not earning enough to keep up with the basic needs of life. Guys, only one in three Americans is saving in a company retirement plan, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. And those that do put away into their 401ks and whatever, don't put enough money into appropriately balanced portfolios to help that money grow. Uh, For example, maybe they're just keeping it all in cash because they don't know kind of risk management on the stock side of their portfolio. Others go down the rabbit hole on wacky speculative investments like crypto or cannabis in an effort to beat the broad stock market. You know, so they're working on trying to get that bigger and better rate of return. They're trying to get their, as we said with Nelson Nash's episode, they're trying to get their airplane to go 105 miles an hour instead of just 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, that headwind is blowing right in their face, blowing them backwards, right? Yep, yep. So that was a crazy study. If if we can't give you uh, unbiased information, listen to Barron's. Listen to the Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management. They, they studied these uh, millions of 401ks. This was their answer, uh, that it was basically a big failure, mm-hmm. right? What about uh, the next uh, article that we came across? This one's huge. This one comes out every year. It's a report, right? Holly, tell us a bit about Dalbar. Yes. So this is uh, Dalbar's 2019 report. So their most recent report that they came out with this year. Um, And the title of it is that, you know, many stock market investors haven't kept up with inflation over the last 20 years. Oh, you let the cat out of the bag there, Holly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I guess you guys are wondering what this article was about. Um, But what's interesting is, is most people even the author um, of the Barron's article where we found this study claimed that the best answer to this problem was to just put more money into stocks and not get into your you know, distant cousin's crypto or cannabis schemes. So no surprise, right? Since Barron's is a publication focused solely on stock investing. <laughs> right. um, but simultaneously and ironically, alongside the Barron's article that came out this spring was the most independent research out there on the real returns of actual investors in the stock market. So both of these articles are, are happening you know, side by side, right? Um, so the results though of this study, you know, most stock market investors haven't kept up with inflation over the last 20 years. Think about it. You know, what kind of return would you have to get in the stock market to make it worth the risk, right? You mean risk and reward should be related. Um, and so, you know, many people are willing to do a little bit of risk, but they want a reward, an adequate reward uh, for taking on that risk. So would you put it all on the line, you know, risk your portfolio going to zero for a 5% annual return? But I mean, probably not, right? Yeah, not you me. Know, yeah. Most people would want something more like 7 or 10%. To, they totally. see that as being an adequate reward for um, kind of that risk of being able to lose it all as well. Well, unfortunately, according to the independent research firm Dalbar um, and their landmark annual study, typical investors in equity mutual funds have gotten only a 3.88% annual return over the last 20 years. 3.88% annual return over 20 years. Yes. So we're looking at the end of a 10-year bull market, right? Yes. And we still are (laughs) 
wallowing in 3.88%. That's a that, again, that's just eye-opening. That's mm-hmm. that's unbelievable. Yes, yes. So 3.88%. So people would turn their nose up at 5%. Um, but somehow, you know, kind of have the wool over their eyes that they don't realize that they're really only getting 3.88%. Um, and that's remarkably small. You know, in fact, some long-range CDs would have paid you more than that. You mm-hmm. could have gotten more in a safe, secure CD than you know, kind of weathering the storm and the ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Yes, two thousand two of the stock market. So think about that. That's only part of the story. While that number factored in the fees paid, it actually didn't include another devastating factor to your finances, which is inflation. So um, that was kind of the other part of the study, as the title indicated. So over the same 20-year period that the study reviewed, we've had an official inflation rate of 2.1%, which means that their real return on average, these investors, was 1.7% per year for the last 20 years. How would you like to beat inflation by 1.7% and uh, over 20 years and endure the abuses of Wall Street year after year after year? Phenomenal. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, so so why might we have been even worse, right? Uh, could it have been even worse, maybe? Uh, as most people investing in the stock market, um, we're also going to be paying taxes, right? We're also going to be throwing taxes toward uh, the government when we take the money out of our IRAs or brokerage accounts. That means 3.88% will come down by whatever tax rate you're at when you take the money out. So let's say, for example, you're in a 30% tax bracket and you've managed to earn your whopping 3.88%, Holly, on that typical investor fund, you know, after fees. Now, uh, with the fees, taxes, inflation, we're looking at merely, you know, 1.02% over 20 years if you're in a 30% bracket. Over 20 years. That's tremendously low. Mm -hmm. So remember, Dalbar is an independent research firm, guys. They don't have a dog in this fight. They're not selling this or that, right? They are not the investing uh, magazine of uh, Barron's, which is promoting stock investing and average financial advice, nor is Delbar sponsored by our podcast. Although if they want to be, they certainly can come on here. Uh, Delbar is just reporting the results. Delbar is not um, influenced one way or the other. Uh, If you'd like to look this report up for yourself, uh, look for the Quantitative Analysis of Investor Behavior Study 2019, or you could just Google DALBAR, which is D-A-L-B-A-R 2019, and you can see these reports and studies for yourself. So, of course, that 3.88% that's that's reported by DALBAR is only saying if you were 100% all in, chips in on the stocks and equities in the stock market. Remember, 3.88% we mentioned is assuming someone is all in 100% on equity mutual funds, but most people have a blend of stocks and bonds. So the average investor, according to DALBAR, uh, that are invested in kind of a broad base of asset allocation mutual funds, which is going to be spreading your money among stocks and bonds, real estate, etc., they only earned before taxes, before inflation, their actual return over 20 years was 1.87%, which means they actually lost ground over 20 years to inflation. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so Dalbar's own quote to all this carnage going on in the market is, the results consistently show that the average investor earns less, in many cases, much less than mutual fund reports would suggest. 
So how is that possible? Right, right. So people are getting these mutual fund reports and, um, you know, they're getting a prospectus that's telling them you can expect to earn this amount of money in our mutual fund. But Dalbar is saying, well, actually, people are, are, get, are earning, you know, less and in many cases much less than what those reports are saying. So how is that possible? Well, mutual fund companies are allowed to report on average, an average rate of return, which is not the same thing as the real return. Um, listen to our episodes 51 and 52 to learn more about kind of the difference between average and real returns. We kind of dive into it on those two episodes. Um, most people, you know, as they think about their 401k and watching the balance grow, they think they're doing better than the pathetic <laughs> return reported by Dalbar. However, they're often misled by annual statements they get from their 401k provider. Oftentimes, a 401k, you know, return listed on your annual statements includes your own contributions along with your employer's contribution to the return listed which has, of course, nothing to do with the performance of the stocks or bonds um, or buying inside your 401k. What's that old joke slash statistic? I think it was a real study where they said that like something like 70% of drivers think they're above average. You know, it's <laughs> like the Lake uh, Wobegon stories of all the children are above average. I feel like when I meet with folks that they see themselves as the exception in this mm-hmm. 401k study that they all have great returns. Here it is. My average you know, return last year or year to date was 10%, 12%. Or I hear Dave Ramsey say I can get 12% by falling off a log every morning mm-hmm. uh, in my mutual funds. Um, but you just said, Holly, something really important from this study was that the 401k return actually can include my own contributions, right? Yeah. I mean, sure. If I put $100 into my savings account, it's going to grow. Uh, it's not a return. It's a change in the value of my savings account, right? Mm-hmm. So that's just, it, it's, I think it's a shame that they're able to even advertise that as part of your return, your own contributions and the contributions of your company yeah. has nothing to do with the performance of the vehicle you're investing in. Exactly. That's how you make a, you know, one point, <laughs> you know, whatever the number was, a 1.87% uh, return look a whole lot better. Just mm. count their contributions. I mean, uh, shoot, if I could give... Uh, like some money into my piggy bank. Let's say I threw some money into my piggy bank at home. I could give myself a 200% rate of return on my piggy bank if I just counted my own contributions. I mean, that's just silly mm-hmm. that they do that. Yep. Okay. So last of all, we've got one more article from time.com. They said, well, Time Magazine says uh, how losing money can increase your risk of dying and heart disease, even if you're young. So this was just, again, just a eye-opening study. They said two recent studies uh, were recently published. Uh, one was in a, um, you know, a medical journal, actually. One was in a financial journal. Uh, so scientists collected this data from over 4,000 people, and they spread the, the report out over a 15-year period. They started when people were 23 years old up to 35 years old during the period of time, and they asked the participants over that period of time to report their income and their net worth. At the start of the study, and again, uh, four other times throughout the study, they got this information. They also analyzed the medical records for heart events and even death, okay, of these same individuals. So researchers found, this was fascinating stuff, uh, that the people who experienced more income volatility had a more consistent, you know, if they had like drops of income, maybe they lost their job, they had more than double the risk of having a heart problem and nearly double the risk of dying early compared with those who had a stable, predictable income. So much of that income instability resulted from periods of unemployment or pay cuts during recessions or after changing a job. And researchers found that 
uh, an income loss of 25% or more uh, was simply correlated to a greater risk of heart attacks uh, and strokes, heart failure, even early death. Uh, researchers assumed that there would be some sort of connection since that obviously it's a stressful event to lose your job or whatever, but they said that they were, quote, surprised by the magnitude of the effect that they saw uh, since they were looking at a relatively young population, end quote. People who experienced more than two drops of income during the study period had a 2.5 times greater risk, 2.5 times greater risk of having a heart event and nearly double the risk of dying compared with people who had stable incomes. So that's the first study. The second and related study we wanted to bring up is something we should all talk about. It's a medical phenomenon called the, sh the wealth shock. So this wealth shock could send you to the emergency room. This was by uh, Washington Post. Uh, so in a recent Washington Post article, we found something that literally made our jaws drop. Tell us about that, Holly. Yeah, so kind of just, again, in, in line with this connection between health and wealth, um, a study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, and it was also in the American Economic Journal, both reported that those who experienced a devastating financial loss, which they defined as um, having a 50%, or sorry, the um, both reported those who experience a devastating financial loss have a 50% risk of dying early. And it doesn't matter how much money you had to start. So they call this devastating impact on your health, the quote unquote wealth shock. Um, so about one in four people who participated in the study have had a wealth shock, averaging a loss of about $100,000. So that's what they're kind of um, that's their defining mm -hmm. of the hundred of the wealth shock. Often it was a result of a drop in the value of retirement investments or a home foreclosure. So if you have even 10% of your wealth in the stock market and experience only a 10% loss, your risk of dying early or having a physical health problem like high blood pressure or a mental health problem such as depression increases significantly. Um, among every 100 retirees with money in the market suffering a 10% wealth shock, one additional person will die within the next two years and 2.5 more will develop health problems. Um, yet another study that examined patient records for every hospital in California over nearly three decades, okay, so a long and expansive study, found a connection between market declines and hospital admissions, particularly for mental health conditions like anxiety, panic attacks, and major depression. So when the market fell nearly 25%, hospital admissions spiked over 5% immediately um, is wow. just one example. Wow. So there's a definite correlation and maybe a causation between your health and your wealth. And that's clearly indicated in these studies. So keep in mind that in 2007 through 2009, the Great Recession sucked not just 10%, but 50% out of your stock portfolio, your 401k, your home values. Uh, the study suggests that the wealth shock is as dangerous as a case of heart disease, according to Alan Garber professor of Harvard University. If you have ever heard of Harvard, I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> so why do people have wealth shocks? In my opinion, I think there are two reasons. We already discussed about the first reason. When income drops and there's no cash in the bank, the stress can be phenomenal and it can even bring on physical disease. Even the Federal, Federal Reserve study that came out two or three years ago seems to corroborate this finding, saying that we're, you know, we're looking at almost 50% of Americans having less than 400 bucks in a cash or liquid account to cover emergencies. Otherwise, you know, having to go into debt if they have an emergency of just $400 or more. 
Yep. And the second reason is the way people save and invest for the future makes you know a financial shock virtually inevitable. Um, according to the Federal Reserve Survey of Consumer Finances, most people have the bulk of their money in investments like the stock market and real estate market that can rise or fall at the drop of a hat. This paper wealth looks great when the market is up as it, you know, as it is as we record this, but it could easily vanish just when you need the money the most, of course. And when would you need the money the most? Probably during a financial crisis, <laughs> you know, which just kind of, um, you know, exponentially increases that stress. I love um, your brilliant flash of the obvious there, Holly. That's yeah. great. <laughs> if you're following conventional financial advice and you have your money in volatile, unpredictable investments, consider moving a sizable chunk of your financial nest egg into a strong foundation that can help weather any storm. A safe, growing, liquid cash reserve in maybe something like a bank on yourself type whole life policy. Come on. Um, And maybe that should be equal to two years of household income. I mean, this gives you both the resilience to weather any storm and the opportunity to take advantage of investments when everything goes on sale. Again, when we're in that financial crisis. Yeah. Um, This helps you not only in your financial life, but apparently, you know, your health too. So it's, you know, there's definitely a strong relationship between your health and your wealth. Big time, big time. So what do we take away from all of these studies? I mean, we're not... We're not the lone rangers out there, uh, which is great to know with all the mainstream financial advice and average financial wisdom out there. uh, We're happy to see that there's some not average uh, information that you can find if you know where to look. But what did we take away from this, uh, dear listeners? Uh, You know, I'd I'd say the first for me is that it it really matters. You know, really put your money in something uh, that you've decided on because where you put your money makes you think different. It makes you feel different. It makes your life apparently last longer or shorter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, it could even impact the longevity of your life. I'd say also, you know, it's a surprise when independent research comes out every year. Once again, we're all surprised on how little return we're making in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And yet, I have no doubt that Wall Street will continue on without changing their course of action. They'll continue to charge us fees. They'll continue to throw us into, you know, overloaded fake assets like mutual funds. Uh, I I have a feeling that we're going to be putting way too much in its coffers and and paying them a nice fat commission for the privilege of riding their roller coaster. You know, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I I hope that I'm wrong, right? So those are some things I took away. What about you, Holly? Would you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I guess it's just kind of, uh, I I would have to echo just a little bit your... you know, the how the you know the research coming out every single year and people aren't making as much in the market um, as they're thinking or expecting or know, quote unquote, know they are. And it's like, how many times do we have to hear it? You know, how many different times from how many different sources um, before people maybe actually kind of do take that time to pause and think, maybe I'm not the exception I think I am. Not saying you're not exceptional, yeah. but maybe you're not the exception to this almost rule, (laughs) you know, and the rule is people are not making as much in the market as they think they are. You're special, just like everybody else. Yeah. Um, You know, but yeah, so it's just kind of fascinating because it comes out, like you said, each and every year, every single year, independent research comes out. I'm sure there's some not so independent research that um, is coming out that, you know, is is very motivated to skew the numbers in one direction. Um, but yeah, so I think that's just kind of the big, big takeaway for me. And um, I know we heard a couple episodes ago with one of our 
our guest uh, speakers about, you know, health and wealth. And um, I think just starting to take that more seriously too. Um, You know, just how how great of an impact. I mean, you think about how stressful money is and um, you can imagine the the toll that that would have on your your life and and your body physically um, over a lifetime of stressing about money. It doesn't necessarily just have to be the shocks. I think just kind of living in a perpetual state of stress about finances can be just as devastating. So um, I think, yeah, just some really, really interesting kind of new insights and not so new and some new Mm, (laughs) insights with these articles. Um, Yeah, we just wanted to share with all of our listeners today. Very good. And if you want to learn more, that's with, I think, episode 94 with Christina Wise. Uh, So go back and check that out for uh, the connections between health and wealth. And uh, so for all of us and all of us listening, thank you guys for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Um, Monday, July 15th, 2019 is the last day to get your voice in. If you want to be part of our episode 100, go to speakpipe.com slash NYAFP. And here we are. We're here helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.